you're a young, nervous civilization about to send out its first deep space probe, you want to make sure whoever finds it is going to want to be your friend. And the best way to do that is to send a mixtape. Earth's Mixtape is the podcast where we dive into the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. One song at a time, one picture at a time, one whale song at a time. Welcome back to Earth's Mixtape. This is the podcast where we review the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. I'm Mike Dunlavy, and with me as always is... Roby Austin. And... Hannah Ayler. This episode will be talking about musical selections from Australia and Mexico, as well as four photos relating to human DNA from the Golden Record Picture Archive. So let's begin. So we're going to begin by talking about track five from the music of Earth. Track five is called Morning Star and Devil Bird. It is from Australia, runs one minute, 26 seconds. Recorded by Sandra Lebrun Holmes, according to Murmurs of Earth, in 1958 on the Crocodile Islands of Arnhem Land, the largest Aboriginal reservation in the Northern Territory. This is actually two song excerpts split at the 23 second mark. The instruments include ironwood clapsticks, didgeridoo, and in the second piece, solo voice. Well, it certainly is interesting that they opted to have one track be made of two piled together pieces of music i wonder well is there a reason why they did that no reason i could see if they allocated one minute 26 seconds to the music of australian aborigines i don't know why they felt the need to squash two pieces into that minute 26 seconds it's just the choice they made can i be all 40 years later ish on their their butts and say that seems a little culturally imperialist to say oh well it doesn't matter what you know, whether it's two songs or one song, we're just going to call it one song because it all sounds like didgeridoo. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate for the horrible people. Please, please. Uh, they're not necessarily horrible. They're just from a different time. I'm going to play devil's advocate for the 70s. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I take it back. Horrible people. Go for it. I could see... I could see them wanting to have part of it where you could just hear the instruments before then hearing a voice singing over the instruments. Uh, and maybe neither of those tracks provided both of those things, so mm. they wanted to separate it out a bit. But I don't see any evidence that they worried about that in any future. I think they do kind of blend well together too. You start with the start with the didgeridoo, and then you add the voice on top, but keep the didgeridoo going. When I first listened to it, I didn't even realize they were two second two separate tracks. I thought it was all one song, and it sounded it sounded pretty fluid to me. Yeah, so as I said, these were recorded by Sandra LeBrun Holmes, um, according to Murmurs of Earth in 1958. Uh, she was a collector of Aboriginal music, dance, and visual art, uh, lived and worked with the Aborigines for over 30 years. And now we're going to get into the controversy. Oh, oh boy. Um, so this will, I guess, become almost a recurring segment on this podcast, The Question of Attribution. Yes, indeed. We have the name of the person who recorded it, but not the names of the performers. And I'm now going to present some information uh, that was put together by Alice Gorman in an article on theconversation.com from October 2013, uh, based on a paper she presented at the Australian Space Science Conference, also in 2013. The name of the performers... Were, so there were three Aboriginal men named, and I apologize for the pronunciation, uh, Jawa, Mudpo, and Wallaparu. 
Uh, Jawa was actually a well-known member of the Aboriginal community. He was a community leader and artist, winner of the 1955 Leroy Alcorso Textile Design Competition. Oh, cool. Many of his bark paintings are in the National Museum of Australia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I encourage everyone to look them up. I think they're quite lovely. Mm. Uh, so this is a well-known This person, is an actual famous person. At least well-known from the 1950s. And I see no reason why his name wasn't included in the attribution. Uh, this information was obviously available, and they left it out. And he is the one... Let me see if I can get this straight. Um, we hear him... It's him that's playing the ironwood clapsticks in the first part, and Mudpo is the one playing the didgeridoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the second track, uh, it's Wallaparu who's singing. Now, about the second track, which is listed as Devil Bird, and there's lots of information in Murmurs of Earth about why they chose Devil Bird and what that song represents. Uh-oh. According to Alice Gorman, that song is not Devil Bird. Oh, for heaven's sakes. It is a song called Moikoi. It's a song about the malicious spirits who try to entice newly deceased souls away from their clan country. Yeah. Hmm. And is... It's it's it's, just a different song for crying out loud. Just Just get it right. (laughs) And this information... So let's assume Alice Gorman presented this in 2013. We're now four years later. This information has not been corrected on the NASA website. There is another article in The Atlantic which talks to Gorman and the reporter from The Atlantic, whose name I can't remember right now, but reached out to the surviving members of the Golden Record team. And they're like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe we got that wrong. Okay, so unexpectedly... I'm going to start by playing devil's advocate here. Because uh, it's tiring. Yeah, yeah, and stupid. But anyway, I'll do it because it's my turn. You know when you do something and it's done and the, and you've made a mistake, there's not a lot you can do. Like, they can't go out into space and fix their mistake. They can fix it in other places, I grant you. But for those dudes who made the golden record, when it was launched into space, that was it. That it was done. But correct me if I'm wrong, nowhere on the golden record are the track titles or the performers. Oh. It's just the music. So as far as the OSPs, the outer space people are concerned, uh, this, this is immaterial. They're, they're getting the, the, the music that was included, not necessarily the music that, that we thought was being included. So it's just NASA. It's just NASA. And it's just 2014 NASA. It's not even 1971 NASA or 1977 NASA. This is... This is current NASA current hasn't NASA. corrected this record. Yeah. Yeah. The, the record of the record. Yeah, that's I I got nothing to support that. There's yeah. there Devil's is no devil's advocacy. Is so advocacy. <laughs> There's no devil bird advocacy going on here. Uh, about the so I have a I have a ridiculous a ridiculous uh, white privileged person question about this matter of attribution. So we always get the recording engineer for the, let's call them field recordings, anthropological well, the, the, field the, the, recordings. The anthropologists, yeah. Do we get the recording engineers for the uh, other, like no. for Chuck Perry? No, no we don't. No. no. no because, I, I, uh, <laughs> you know, that's also known, right? Like that information is available. Yeah. The person yeah, who, where, who... where it was recorded. Yeah. Know. The team that were responsible for recording that Brandenburg Concerto uh, is definitely So you only get one on or the, the record other. Somewhere. You either get the people who recorded it or the artists yeah you get the technician or the artist and not both why can't we just get along one last thing uh, according to murmurs of earth and the voyager golden record archive this was recorded in 1958 but 
uh, Sandra LeBron Holmes didn't actually go to this part of Australia until 1962. So it was actually probably recorded four years after what they said it was. So they got the date wrong, too. I think they also got the date wrong. Okay. I mean, we're taking Alice Gorman on her word, but um, the article in The Atlantic makes me think that uh, she's probably correct with her new information. Okay. Well, that's sloppy. It's sloppy, but including music of the Australian Aborigines, I think, is an excellent idea. Yeah, I It's a very nice, they're nice tracks, too. They're nice pieces. They're nice tracks. This is obviously a very distinct culture of Earth, and Mm -hmm. having them represented artistically is a good idea. Uh, True that. And uh, perhaps when we make the next record we send out in the space, we do a little better job with the attribution. (laughs) But but as you point out, all of the matters of attribution are terrestrial. Like, it just, this is current. Yes. We could be fixing it. Today. Today. Yeah. We don't have to wait for the next one. Yeah. Are those dudes still alive, the Australians? The three, uh, I have no idea. Uh, I guess, I'm going to assume if they, if they were, were performers in, in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, um, maybe not. If they were already hugely established and winning international prizes for their uh, fabric designs, in the, maybe yeah, in, in the, the 50s. 50s. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to see if any of the performers of the music are alive today. I haven't done that research. Yeah. Spoiler for future episode, we're going to get into a Chuck Berry song, and he just passed away a couple months ago. Yeah, he may have been the last to go. And on that note, (laughs) let's move on to the photos. So we're going to look at four pictures today from the picture archive. Basically, we're going to talk about the first three uh, all in one go. They represent DNA structure and replication. Uh, Picture 14 is copyright Frank Drake. Picture 15 and 16 is copyright John Lomberg. Hannah, can you tell us what we see in picture 14? All right. So uh, along the left column of this image, we have four diagrams of what look like the Bohr atoms. Five. One, two, three. Oh, look, there's hydrogen stuck up there. I missed him. So we have five. Uh, diagrams of what look like uh, Bohr atoms. Uh, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, what's that, phosphorus? Phosphorus. Phosphorus and sneaky little hydrogen. So we have a nucleus surrounded by their electrons uh, with a s- number in a circle beside it uh, indicating their element number. Atomic number. Atomic number, that's the word. Um, and then we also have lowercase letters also denoting them. So we have C, N, O, P, and H. So they chose to give the letter representation as well as the atomic number. And and a length scale of an angstrom to show what they are talking about. The the angstrom is right below the hydrogen atom. Oh, yes. Okay. And I think they're they're setting up chemistry. Yeah. Okay, but those are pictures of dots writing circles, which is 100% not. Even in 1977, they knew that that's not what an atom is. Yeah. I mean, maybe Frank Drake didn't know. Especially but. by the time you get to phosphorus and you're no longer just having S orbitals. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so what's on the right side of the picture, Hannah? On the right side, we have four DNA... Uh, I haven't taken biology they, they, in a very long time. These are, they're, they're, they're the DNA bases. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, um, oh, guanine and there's cytosine in those guys? Uh, thymine and adenine, guanine and cytosine. Everything I know about DNA I learned from the X-Files, so I might not... Uh, have the best. Get your grains of salt ready, listeners. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so we have the four DNA building blocks, um, each denoted by a capital letter 
in a box, T-A-S-N-G, and they have, their structures are made up of the letters of the atoms connected to each other. So we have H connected to C, and a double bond connecting to another C, and so on like that. So now I have a question for you, Hannah. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to list those four DNA building blocks again. Thymine, can you guess which one thymine is? That's the one with the T. Adenine? Is the one with the A. Guanine? Is the one with the G. Cytosine? Is the one with an S. And why does it have an S? Because they don't want to confuse it with carbon. Because they don't want to confuse it with carbon. So they decided to give it an S. Okay, but it hardly matters because the aliens aren't going to call it... I'm sorry, the other... Yeah. I can't remember what they're supposed to... OSP stands for. But anyway, they're not going to call it cytosine anyway. But why use letters then? Why not use... Why not go to Chinese characters? Why not go to... Maybe they're going to want to use the S later on. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. This is why I always use happy faces and sad faces (laughs) and card suits. Which DNA building block is a happy face? Uh, it depends on what my students are asking me to do that day. <laughs> I, will, I, I will eventually get over the day that somebody said, do a plate of spaghetti. And I did. It was not very demonstrative. But anyway, there was a reason to do simple, simple symbols. But I agree, they could have gone into other alphabets. Yeah. So some other notes from Murmurs of Earth. They found, quote, diagramming the DNA molecule uh, proved difficult, unquote. Which I think is not surprising as they're all basically astronomers. And they didn't do a great job diagramming the solar system. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But the DNA pictogram was made with the help of Dr. Stuart Edelstein from Cornell. Other little details. The H for hydrogen has a little tail on the top of it, so they could make sure that it would never be confused for nitrogen. Um, And they marked cytosine, as we discussed, they marked cytosine with an S, so as not to confuse it with the sea of carbon. And they expressed some joy at the thought at how mad that would make biochemists. <laughs> well, I think the biochemists were cool about it, but the biochemists knew it doesn't matter what symbol you use. So I guess my question about this, first of all, is kind of why? Why send this information? Presumably, yeah, no, why? Well, it's, that's interesting. And why include it in the series before they include pictures of people? Or like, plants, or, or plants, blah, blah, yeah. blah, yeah. That at no point in this series is it clear that we're talking about living. We're, we're starting with organic chemistry. Why not start with some simple chemistry like water to show what we mean by oh. atoms? You know, we could have H plus O2 water and a pitcher of water, and that might make it yeah. more clear what we're talking about. Yeah. Why but, start with complicated organic chemistry, biochemistry? But then that goes back to the argument that we're supposing that they're so much smarter than us and can easily figure out anything we throw at them. So yeah, so they can probably the extract all the DNA from the fingerprints. I know there are not many fingerprints on space junk, but it's, it's not 70s. space junk. Uh, God knows what's on that, <laughs> on that space probe. <laughs> so, and, you know, it'll it'll have been damaged for sure by the time it gets to the other civilizations, but, uh, you know, there'll be something. There'll be some goop. Well, and that level of we can just expect them to understand it because they're an advanced race. So why are we explaining anything? Like, why are we... What's the point of all of this if they already know everything? Yeah. I mean, we're also trying to show what we know. We're trying to say, look how far we've come as well, I think, with a lot of this. A lot of it feels like... We're showing off. Look how smart we are. We are also a space-faring species, as they said in a previous episode. With these Bohr models of the atom. 
That's yeah, like really. It's it's not a current bun, so I guess we can be happy about that. It's pretty yeah. close though. Anyway, going on to the current bun. <laughs> going on to the next couple photos, Hannah, can you tell us what we're seeing in pictures uh, 15 and 16? I'm not entirely sure what's going on in picture 15. There's a lot of letters connected by a lot of lines. So I, I, I think what they're trying to show, I'm sorry the X-Files has let you down here, but <laughs> the, what, what, what I think they're showing is that the thymine always bonds, pairs with the adenine, and guanine always pairs with the cytosine in the DNA helix. Oh, that's the ATGS? Yes. Yeah, they're, they're showing how those pairs are formed in the DNA strand. Okay. And then in picture 16, there's more of a close-up of the helix, helix itself with length scales to show okay. what we're talking about. Okay. So they have scales on here, too, in angstroms. But they're, they're written three and four-tenths of an angstrom. But they're written, they're rotated from the rest of the, the writing in this. So they're... Oh, well, that's, that's okay, surely. Is it? I don't know. I don't like it. There's no reason for it. Like, they could have written it, written it the other yeah. way. But I guess it has to be paired with the two um, lines True. that are denoting from, like, that, that's a distance from this line to that line. Mm-hmm. And going by the previously established, which I agree is not their strong suit, but going by their previously established uh, system, that probably is the proper way to write it. Okay. And the next picture, they have it. The double helix. Yeah, the double helix, the letters are, it's flipped from the previous one, but I just... It just bothers me that it's not consistent, yeah. it, that they're flipping the letters around. I think it's actually a close-up of the top right corner of picture 15. Oh, so you can actually make out the letters. Okay. Yeah. So they, they show the A and the G, and then there's the dotted lines that go to their place in the helix, and you see those dotted lines in the next picture as well. Oh, okay. So this could be just them uh, hedging their bets on, on resolution of the photo. Okay, that's not as bad then. Seems like a... I, I, it's a choice that they have made to hedge their bets on the resolution of that photo and not some other photo. Like, why that one? But I guess they cared about DNA, and it was 1977, and they said, ooh, we know about DNA. Let's tell them that DNA. we know about DNA. And they're, they're doing, like I said, very complicated organic biochemistry as their first foray yeah. into chemistry beyond you know just listing what the elements of the Earth's atmosphere is. Yeah. They could have... Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What would I have done? I don't know. Pictures of blades of grass. We get, we'll get to that. I have a dim memory that plant DNA and animal DNA has one base group different. This, I, I'm afraid I didn't pay as close attention in X Files class. Hannah, what did the X Files say? Yeah, they said that human life has four bases of DNA, but they found an alien species that has six bases. So the, so the OSPs aren't going to make any sense of this. No, they'll be like, what is this? this is only four. We've got six. They're leaving out 30% yeah. of their critical, oh, and then they're going to get suspicious of us yeah. an attack. Probably. So now that we've described those three pictures, do you want to tell us what the threat to humanity level is for those? I don't think it can be argued that the whole four, and the fourth we're going to get to in a second, I think there's no argument that all four represents a threat to humanity TTH scale of a full 10. Okay, well, let's talk about the next one, and then we can argue or not. (laughs) Okay, uh, picture 17 is titled Cell Division, Copyright Macmillan Science Company Incorporated. Uh, So I assume this is a picture from a textbook. So uh, we've got a picture of what look, looks like a whole bunch of cells stuck together, like, I don't know, maybe 10 of them. Um, they look like they're dividing. And then in the corner, we have 
an outline of a DNA helix dividing. Yeah, so they're 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 showing how DNA replicates. Right. So, uh, like the, the the picture is meant to show various stages of cell division. Okay, and I do remember this stuff from my years ago of biology mitosis and that stuff. But the picture in the corner, like there's no scale on that thing in the corner. There's a scale on the cells, but the thing on the corner is just a shadow of a shape. No, but devil's advocate. That can easily be linked, be to, the linked to the previous ones. Okay, where yeah. They've already have two pictures with okay. the length scale for the DNA helix. Right. Fair enough. So those cells are frog blastula. Oh. Which sounds like a really That's great cool, vampire. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking as one who at this time of year likes to visit the frog pond and see all the uh, tadpoles doing their leg-growing, tail-losing <laughs> trick. Nice choice. Probably actually not that nice a choice for the frogs involved because prepara- preparing the slide to photograph it did not probably involve happy frogs. But no, but and let's you know we're taking their word for it. God knows what that yeah, yeah it could be onions. Actually, I don't that, know. That could be Carl Sagan hair. We have no idea because <laughs> <laughs> we know that Carl Sagan hair reproduced quite uh, look rapidly. How, look how luxurious those cells are. I want to run your finger through those cells. <laughs> You may. <laughs> I, I would have expected to encounter a sort of solid mass of Sagan hair. Anyway. Sagan hair. What do you think about Sagan hair, Hannah? If he put some on the, on the slide. Oh, do you think he put some in? He just clipped it out of the locks and stuffed them into some bag and taped it to the side of the thing? Who knows? <laughs> These are the questions that nobody has answers and for They anyway. can replicate them, right? If you, that's and, DNA in there. Yeah, yeah. You can clone them. Yeah. There could be sagans out in the universe. We don't even there know. There could be billions and billions of them. <laughs> okay, so we're now in episode, episode three, three, and seven. we've had our first Carl Sagan impersonation. <laughs> I'm proud. Please write in. Let us know at earthsmixtape.gmail.com. Uh, rate that impression. It's uh, better than my Yoda. Rate my Sagan. Rate my Sagan. Rate my Sagan.com. So I have a question. Um, why not include... An X-ray of a DNA molecule, like an actual picture of the DNA instead of just a, a drawing. In 1977. Sure. When uh, DNA was discovered by X-ray. Yeah, yeah, but X-ray crystallography, much... so it would not look like the DNA looks like it looks like an interference pattern. Yeah, but again, the OS that seems like something we can assume that the scientifically advanced OSPs would be able to put together. But the astronomers who are putting together the <laughs> the pictures, do you think they would know how to? can explain that this was x-ray crystallography not i certainly uh, don't want to see their 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 diagram of how x-ray crystallography works (laughs) but i do think that possibly could have given the osp and and just to be clear i'm not advocating getting more information about our precious human biology (laughs) to the osps can i point out it's not just Humanity on this one, like this is oh, right. this, is, this is all biology. This is this is all living things, which right. I suppose is why they chose it. Yeah, so but maybe we're dooming the rest of the planet as well, well as ourselves. Only if the aliens come hell bent. Uh, well, oh my! But we all know that there's a terrible frog disease going around the Earth right now. Do we? Is do there? we? Oh, you don't know? I don't know about the terrible frog disease. I don't know about disease. this either. People. Stop what you were doing. Everything is sad and but, tragic. But we're recording. Frogs are dying. Um, yeah, frog species are dying like nuts because there is a fungus that is killing them off all, all around the world. 
it's it's really terrible. I'm wondering if it was introduced by a hostile alien who was out to prove that they totally 100% understood that Macmillan diagram. Okay, so for this picture then, TTH. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're turning it up to 11. No, well, 9. TTF. Yeah. Threat to frog. Dude, I don't think you understand how terrible it is for humanity if all the frogs go away. Um, 11. TTH okay. 11. TT, we, we've now taken the TTH scale to 11. <laughs> I feel, yeah, if, if an angry alien race appeared, this is not information we would send them. I'm sure they'd be able to ascertain it by other means. Yeah. If they're so clever that they can actually understand what this means, they don't need it. Yeah. Huh? Fair enough. I'm sticking by the, the ten. They have six sure. building blocks, remember? They're, this is <laughs> this, yeah. this is elementary. This is. Th- now, do you think they would see us as more advanced or less advanced because of that? Oh, less. Really? Because we, we can do all this with just four? But we can't do nearly as much as they can. Wait, okay. What do you imagine they're doing with their extra two? Well, the guy in X-Files was able to breathe underwater for, like, three days. Okay, but frogs, frogs can, can do that. <laughs> for, like, a month, oh. at least. Well, and they're still amphibious, aren't they? Yeah, but they, they need their nostrils. After they lose their gills, they okay. have lungs and they need air. Okay, so <laughs> explain yourself, Hannah. <laughs> they could also, hang on, what else could he do? He got shot a lot of times and didn't die. Okay, well, that's useful. <laughs> yeah, I bet that I bet frogs can't do that. I bet that extra two building blocks might have had something to do with that. Who knows? All right, so... War is always better, though, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> so we've lost lots of things by going with four DNA bases. I think so. But... I, I, as a non-biologist, I, I have a limited understanding of these things, but I really think that... Although having variety for evolution to choose from, mm. for your offspring to uh, succeed, I still think that uh, simplicity, simple systems are still good systems. Yeah. I'm also only on season two of the X-Files, so there might be even more abilities that they have. I don't know yet. I haven't, I haven't gotten that far okay. yet. Okay. But we should be starting now to introduce two more bases so we can be immune to bullet fire. This is the I solution so. to gun That's violence. That's what they were doing on the X-Files. Okay. But, uh, we're now going to move on to talk about the second musical track for this episode. Uh, the next musical track is track six called El Cascabel, which is a popular song from Mexico, translates into English as The Bell, written by Lorenzo Barcalada and runs 3 minutes 14 seconds performed by Lorenzo Barcalada and the Mariachi Mexico or it was performed by Antonio Maciel y Los Angeles and El Mariachi Mexico uh, I found two things saying who uh, were the performers but I, I'm, I'm, I think it is actually Lorenzo Barcalada because it, it, it said that in more places uh, do you know when the recording comes from? Uh, I don't he lived from 1898 to 1943, so probably sometime in there. Sometime in there. But if it comes from after that, that definitely tells you that True. it was somebody else. And recordings from before 1943 sometimes have dead giveaways like pops and. Uh, yeah, it does sound like an, it does sound like an older recording. I would say, I would say it sound it has that kind of high tinny um, old recording style. Sound. It does sound. It, it, we we're making it sound like maybe it isn't fantastic, but you should probably oh, go yeah, listen. So let's, let's stop for a minute and talk about how amazing this song is. 
yeah, I'm sorry that I'm not uh, knowledgeable enough about Mexican music to have already known it, because uh, I wish I had known it all my life. It's great. Yeah, so apparently he was a very popular songwriter. Yeah. And he had, uh, his biggest hit was a song called Maria Elena. Which I am going to look up after this. Yeah. It was written for the First Lady of Mexico. Maria Elena? Yep. Oh. And he had 200, he had written 214 songs by the time he died. Gosh. That was a fairly short life. He was like 60-something, right? He died at 44 from cholera. Cholera? Yeah. Yikes. Not a great way to die. Well, no. But El Cascabel features fiddles and horns, primarily trumpets, guitars, and guitarones, which I know I pronounced terribly, I apologize, but it's the huge six-string acoustic uh, bass that you often see in uh, Mexican bands. And it always looks like the person holding it has been photoshopped. It just looks like looks a guitar. To you. It looks to me like someone's photoshopped. It looks exactly like a guitar, but scaled up uh, two times. Well, now I know what instrument I want to take up next. I think you may find it hard. All instruments are hard. That's true. And so the lyrics of the bell are based on a double entendre. Oh, I love it. Go for it. Tell me. Uh, well, I didn't. That's all I. That's all I have. I'm not going to ah, get into the double so, entendre. Uh, I, it's it's it's, uh, it's two two double. I, I don't want that explicit tag on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, I encourage everyone to go listen to it because again, the song is amazing. And look up the lyrics. Uh, if you don't speak Spanish, look up the translation of the lyrics, and you can decide for yourself. Again, it's titled "The Bell," so. Um, you can work out your, from yourself for yourself what that was meant to. Well, I can't, but I guess I will go read the lyrics before I say before I say too much. So I think this is, might be my favorite one on the track so or on the record so far, just because I like to imagine this echoing through the halls of an alien spaceship. Like it's all quiet, and you just hear this echoing through the corridors. That's brilliant. I yeah. I just I think that would be a good world. But I, I but I had a question for you, Hannah. Uh-oh. When we did the uh, Senegalese piece, mm-hmm. you found the up-tempo nature of it stressful. Yes. This one I don't find stressful. This one makes you want to dance. Okay. Because I, 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 I hope it's a high, has the same effect on the OSPs. Yeah. I, w- I would say it's a higher tempo than the Senegalese piece. Like I, right. But it doesn't have that same kind of percussion that... It swings, too. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And It's uh, different. Recently, I was talking with somebody about that that piece or those pieces that uh, people who work as DJs at weddings have in their pocket to pull out when they want everybody to crowd the dance floor. <laughs> this is one of those pieces, I am sure. So if you were going to make a wedding playlist out, to of, release? out of the golden record tracks... <laughs> okay, later, later, when we're, you know, at the end of this... Wait, look, look forward to a future episode... <laughs> Where we will Alien DJ, wedding tracks. we will DJ a wedding using only <laughs> golden record. But I think this, I think the Senegalese piece would would go in as well. It could easily. Not in my way. <laughs> Weddings are stressful. <laughs> Plus, you want those caterers to work hard. <laughs> <laughs> so that's 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 back. Of, that's that's not played on the dance floor. It's played in the in back the room. And I'm trying to think of where the monarchy one fits in. But uh, you know, like you certainly shouldn't be getting married before you've had that piece so uh yes yes good point so maybe we leave that one out <laughs> i thought we had to put them all in okay so, so i'm anyway, allowed to edit okay anyway at the end of all of this podcast we will put together a wedding playlist hannah make a note all right i'm writing it down does anyone else have anything to say about el cascabel there's a few things in murmurs of earth where they talk about how 
they the performers are swapping solo parts and there's a lot of overlapping parts that they claim show influences from Mediterranean music and American jazz. Yes. Hmm. Uh, apparently, Barcolada was from a part of a northern part of Mexico, which would have had a lot more influence from American musical traditions. I think that's interesting. Uh, I don't know that it's that interesting in the context of the album, the Golden Record, because we haven't had any jazz on it yet. That's that's true. That's true. Um, the other thing, but th- this is also our first piece from North America. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. The population of the world involves a lot of people who aren't from North America. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the first, but it's not going to be the last. No. So NASA in 1977, was NASA in 1977 pretending to be the world's space agency or were they still? It's still the Cold War. It's so still America's at, space at, agency. At, yeah, they're still America's space agency. At best, they would be the West's space agency. Yeah. But I sort of remember there being songs from east of the urals on the list oh there's there are pieces from russia on the list yeah so uh, they they didn't appear to be being political that way they they really did seem like if you mapped out and i keep meaning to do this place a place a pin on a on a on a e-map yeah where all the pieces are from i think you do see a fairly good representation from all parts that's good i mean there's always going to be some left out there's nothing you can do about that um, if we were sending it up today, we would send a thumb drive. We would ask the world's 500 top ethnomusicologists for their list and include all of their music on it. Um, but when you're down to 90 minutes... And it would be crowdsourced, and it would be called Listy McListface, which would be fantastic. <laughs> or not. And that's a good note to end on. Thanks for listening to Earth's Mixtape. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes, and maybe we will read your name on a future episode. Reviews will help people find out about the podcast, and maybe tell your friends about us. This week, we'd like to thank Tara Tyre and Laura Styles clark who are among the many people who have tweeted about the show. Did we make a mistake or an omission? Heck yeah, we did. Let us know all about it on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Earth's Mixtape. Or email us at earthsmixtape at gmail.com. Earth's Mixtape is produced at St. Mary's University in beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada.